All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another uh, I was about to say edition, and then also episode came out. So Epidode, uh, another <laughs> edition of the Illuminati podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Bond. Uh, joined alongside me as always, Seth Farnador, Robert Stieg. Guys, uh, it's been a whirlwind of a week, uh, and it's only Tuesday. So that's been fun. Um, we'll get to the recap of uh, USF Cincinnati. We'll preview Tulane. We will do a AAC kind of update. Um, but I wanted to kind of touch on one thing um, real quick uh, that Jeff Scott shared in his press conference um, on Tuesday afternoon, Tuesday morning. Uh, Antonio Greer, uh, his father died last Wednesday. Um, and I think that may be the reason why Jeff Scott was a little emotional on Saturday, kind of discussing kind of everything that's kind of gone on um, with this team over the you know the seven weeks since the season started or so. Um, obviously, our, th- our thoughts are with Antonio and his family. Um, I've lost a parent. It sucks. I can tell you that um, in two weeks, it'll be seven years, which um, – it's pretty remarkable how quickly the time goes by. Uh, it doesn't get any easier. Um, I use humor as a defense mechanism, um, so I don't actually have to discuss my feelings about that um, for her uh, health reasons or whatever. It's probably not the, the greatest, um, but it sucks, man. Uh, the good thing was Antonio was able to go see his father who I guess had gotten pretty sick toward the last few weeks. And, uh, it was able to go see, uh, his, his dad, um, when USF, uh, went down to Fort Lauderdale for the, uh, ECU game down there in Boca. So, um, thoughts with his family. I, I can't imagine, um, what he's kind of going through. Um, but just wanted to kind of lead the show off with that. And uh, if you guys have anything that you want to share by all means, I just figured we'd kind of discuss it and, um, you know, kind of move on as best as we can. Um, Really sucks for that guy. Yeah. I went through the same thing. It's coming up on 14 years ago now and it's still difficult to deal with. So, it's not something that's going to go away, but it does get easier to deal with over time, especially if you just kind of shove it in the back of your mind and don't think about it, <laughs> think about it ever. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's a tough deal, uh, but it's good. He got to go see him and he got to see him play, uh, you know, and really perform at a high level. So that's, that's good stuff that he got to see him at this level of his career and all that kind of stuff, but also nice. that He got to go see him before it happened. And, um, and kind of say his goodbyes and, and kind of do all that stuff. So uh, it sucks. It doesn't really get better for a long time, but uh, it's something we're all probably going to have to go through at some point. So it's an unfortunate part of life. Right. And, you know, I'm fortunate that, you know, I saw both my parents. Um, Brag about know, it. I'm, right. <laughs> I, I know. There's so the I defense think- mechanism <laughs> kicking in there. Sorry, guys. We're pouring our hearts out of here, jerk. Um, no, but it, I mean, it, I, so I, I, I am empath- or sympathetic, right? Yeah, sympathetic to the situation. But you know, it's it's an experience that you know, I no one no one looks forward to, 
uh, those kind of days. And, you know, as, as the years go on, as, you know, Christmas has passed and everything like that, you know, you can get another year older, get another year closer. And it's, it's something no one likes to think about, but it happens eventually. So, you know, I, all I can say is, you know, the, the thoughts, the positive, uh, vibes and, you know, all the, all the good feels are, are sent to the Greer family as they, uh, they go through a very, very difficult time right now. And I, yeah, for, for Antonio Greer, I know, you know, he, he puts a lot of pride in, in being Antonio Greer Jr. Um, loves his dad and loves what his dad's done for him as well. So I can only, I can only imagine he's going to, you know, experience a tough loss like this um, within his family and, and grow from it and do something great with it as well. Cause that's kind of what he's been doing for his entire career. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, if, if I don't know, man, it sucks. Uh, I, I just kind of think about, so my best friend has a seven year old son that we just like went to his birthday party. And so like they're like that kid. And unfortunately my mom dying are always intertwined, I guess, for lack of a better uh, word. And, um, you know, glad Antonio was able to go see his, his father. Uh, I did not get that chance, which, uh, uh kind of haunts me to this day. Um, I kind of put it off. It's like, Oh, I'll go see her tomorrow. And then tomorrow never came. So, um, if you have, if you guys get the chance, go see your, go see your loved ones, go see your family. Um, but figure we, we kind of start the show. Um, and it's kind of acknowledging that and um we'll we'll get into the the football stuff here um let's just kind of i guess hard pivot um because we're really good at transitions on this show um speaking of the press conference <laughs> uh right um well let's do this let's go to the mid-season i guess update of the AAC um so it's status, you know, report card update, I guess, uh, for for everyone. Um, not too many surprises, I guess, near the top. Cincinnati is uh, five and one, two and zero in the conference, followed by five and one Tulane, who are also two and zero. I guess that's probably the surprise, given their two and ten season last year. Uh, Central Florida, four and one, one and zero in the conference, followed by Memphis, uh, Navy, Houston. That's a surprise. ECU, SMU, Temple, Tulsa, and uh, rounding out the bottom there is your South Florida Bulls. Uh, coming into this season, I didn't think Cincinnati would be as, or I didn't think Cincinnati would be as good as they they are. Uh, I think seeing them in person kind of proved that they they are a pretty pretty good program. Um, I think they just kind of played down to USF. If we're being honest here and. Uh, USF, like Florida, had a really good game plan against them early on. Tulane riding the ship and Michael Pratt remembering that he's actually a very good quarterback has been fun. Uh, but I think the story of the conference is uh, Houston kind of being a tire fire. I yeah, they, you want to talk about uh, a fall from grace. Everyone's got them penciled in for the for the uh, New Year's Six game. And they're, you know, they're struggling. They could end up, you know, if they keep going to the track they're going, they might not even make a bowl game. So uh, tough, tough, uh, tough beat there to go from the tippy top to kind of scratching and clawing to get to a lower tier bowl game. So, yeah, absolutely. And Houston beat, was it SMU, right? 
No, Houston. Who did Houston? Memphis. Sorry, Houston yeah, needed kind what, of a fluky night. Scored what sixteen points in the last minute, seventeen uh, against Memphis uh, over the weekend to uh, pull back and, and actually, you know, steal steal victory from the the jaws of defeat. Um, I think we may start to have a discourse about is the is Ryan Silverfield uh, the the guy uh, at Memphis because it seems like. Maybe the the lemon bootiness kind of rubbed off on him from Mike Norvell a little bit, uh, man. And I mean, Navy's kind of surprising two one in the conference, and I mean they decimated, obliterated, destroyed. Otherwise, just I tore Tulsa limb from limb last week. Yeah, it's it's weird. You go back and look at their, you look at their schedule. You open the season with a loss to Delaware, where you score seven points, then you score thirteen points in a loss against Memphis. Go on the road and beat East Carolina. Go on the road and only lose by three to Air Force, and then then come back home and wax Tulsa. So very very bizarre. Like uh, you think USF's kind of been up and down this year. Navy is really up and down. Yeah. Um, And Tulsa, I I think there may be a discussion about Philip Montgomery at Tulsa. I I don't understand why he still, quite frankly, has a job. I think he's not been a very good coach for a very long time. He's actually now one in seven against against Navy in his career at SMU. Or, excuse me, at Tulsa. And uh, he, I mean, he should have been fired after that 2019 USF game. The way he just kind of gave that one away, um, that was that was embarrassing on his part. Um, but you know, all in all, kind of, it's a pretty bad conference. If we're it, it, just to kind of cut through the crap here, it, it's not a very good conference outside of maybe Cincinnati. No, like you, you had even like 2019. Looking back at 2019, the first year I kind of came in. And was, and was really paying attention to the conference really closely. There was a lot of good teams. I thought that you had four or five at the top that were really good. And and now the conference isn't as bad. And unfortunately, if, if you're USF, you haven't been able to take advantage of the conference being down a little bit. You don't have that quite top-tier team. Cincinnati is probably the best team now. We saw, you know, USF playing well can play with a play with a decent Cincinnati team. Um, so I, I don't think you have that juggernaut like you did last year in Cincinnati. I think they're still pretty good, and they're they're probably at the top, but there's not that unbelievable team. It just seems like there's a lot of parity, so you're going to see these teams kind of beat each other up as the season goes on. Uh, agreed, and I wanted to do kind of the, this exercise that we did prior to the season starting uh, real quick, and we'll get into the recap of the Cincinnati game. Um, QB rankings, because that's kind of how – most, you know, if you have a good quarterback in college football, especially in this conference, you're more than likely going to be pretty good or at least middle of the pack. Um, so prior to the season, we had ranked, or at least I had ranked Clayton Toon number one in the conference. Uh, just going to be quick, you know, yes or no? Is he? Do you still think he's the, the best QB in the conference right now as we're standing, you know, six, seven weeks in? Steve, what do you think? All right, I was hoping you would take it first because I'm, oh, I'll I'll jump, I'll, I'll, I'll you did this in. to me last night too, Seth. Um, All right, I'll jump. I'll jump in. I, yeah, jump I was, in I, was, I was talking so much. I, I was trying to defer. 
Uh, I, I think he's still probably near the top, but I don't know if you could kind of put him at the tippy top. Um, he's been all right this year. It's not really his fault. I don't think that they've been as bad as they have. Um, he's got 12 touchdowns, four interceptions, not terrible. Almost completing 65% of his passes, uh, throwing the ball, you know, 36 times a game, 260 yards a game. I, I think he's still been pretty good. Um, the, you know, you kind of, you, you kind of start to get into the, uh, well, what are your feelings on whole nailers situation a little bit when, when you get into this? Ugh. Yeah, that, that was kind of <laughs> why I stopped and hesitated for a second. Cause I was like, fuck, I actually do. Mm, I don't want to say it. I'm not going to say, it. I don't like what I was about to say there. And should we discount anyone that's played USF? I mean, he came crashing down. There's a whole nailer sized uh, crater after what he was not able to accomplish last week uh, versus a, a two lane team that we will preview here in a little bit. If you take I, out his USF game, he's got 10, 10 touchdowns and five interceptions, which isn't really, this isn't much to write home about there. But he, he's had some good performances this year. I, I think Toon's probably still near the top. Bryant, I think, is probably up there as well. He's come in and played pretty well for for Cincinnati. Um, yeah, we, yeah, we. I had ranked him fifth in the conference just because of the youth. As you go into it, so number one was Tune, two was uh, Tanner Mordecai, three was Holt Nailers, four was Seth, Seth Hennigan. Uh, I think Ben Bryant's probably better than Seth and Holton. I think I think his stock's rising. I think Cincinnati's going to be really good and probably will win the conference this year. Uh, just I think they're pretty they're pretty freaking deep. Um, their running backs are actually pretty good, and they were without one of their their starting running backs uh, last week, and it didn't really matter. Um, I think Seth Hennigan's kind of probably trending down a little bit for me. Um, maybe it's a sophomore slump kind of thing, and then the American they kind of figure you out like uh, like Michael Pratt was, and uh, it takes you a little bit. Um, He's put up decent-ish numbers. He doesn't turn. He hasn't turned the ball over, but I haven't really been impressed with him or Memphis this year. And maybe that's more of a Memphis thing and not a him thing. Um, yeah, looking at his numbers, he's been decent. He's um, he's not putting up a ton of. He's putting up 250 yards a game, but he's got 10 touchdowns, one interception, uh, and 7.7 yards in a tent, which isn't great, but it's not bad. Like he's been. Pretty good. I think he's like maybe you move him down to fifth or, or yeah. So. And then Tanner Mordecai, I still think he's pretty good. Yeah, yeah he's, he's struggling a bit with turnovers. It seems like this year, but yeah, it's like six turnovers I, under sixty percent passing. There, there's like no good way to rank them because I feel like every time some because uh, i have all their stats pulled up over here so that's why I'm, I'm glancing at this and i like i can't make difference between one through eight like if you didn't show me the names like no one is definitively like really the top guy and then you know you give them one or two good games of you know maybe a bad quarter or a bad half and all of a sudden statistically they drop like a fucking rock <laughs> like yeah Davis Brin is leading the conference in passing yards in QB efficiency right now. Like, 
it, like I don't like no one has been overly impressive, which I think is testament to what Seth was kind of getting at with, you know, no one's really, you know, there's no world beater in the American athletic conference this year. I think there's perfectly fine teams. I said it last night. I don't think that there is, there is going to be a, um, I don't think the, uh, the New York six, the New York six representative is not going to come from the AAC. Um, I, Cause I think there's just going to be too much infighting at this point. I, I'd, I'd imagine someone's going to trip up Cincinnati and I don't yeah. foresee them giving a two loss Cincinnati team ranked higher than what would probably end up being like an undefeated coastal team at the end of the year. So mm-hmm. um, I, in like, yeah, QBs. And then there's a lot of also inconsistencies because as much as I hate to always include them in here, um, Ty Lavatai, I know statistically is not a very good quarterback when you look at, you know, passing numbers and everything like that. Right. I mean, he's running the Navy offense just like can once a Navy, you know, you got to kind of give respect to the, the scheme at hand there. He's turned it on the last couple of weeks um, and has been a very efficient at, uh, at getting um, getting the triple option. Right. So it's like, where where do you really like? Where do we really rank Navy? Right? Like, uh, unless you have like a Keenan Reynolds or something like that, you you kind of tend to just rank them lower just based on everything. But if you if Navy has a quarterback who can run the triple effectively, you might as well just put him at the top of the conference because that's just how good they it like. I don't know. I think I feel sometimes that the triples probably one of the harder offenses to run just because of, especially with the limitations that the service academies have with weight limits and everything like that. If you can get someone who can run that offense effectively, you're you're just in such a better position. I think we've seen it over the last couple of years when Ken hasn't had that guy. It's been really tough for Navy. Plus, you know, the not tackling during COVID was also a, a tough beat yeah <laughs> yeah by the way that was uh <laughs> big navy <laughs> that was the only navy. time philip montgomery has been able to beat navy was when they couldn't tackle and also half their defense was or half their offense was out that game with COVID. Right. so you know philip montgomery uh let me give you some advice call up your local pop warner schools in the greater <laughs> tulsa oklahoma area uh and find someone that has run the triple option and find a way to fucking defend it because uh you are terrible at uh, defending the triple option. Yeah. I, looking at Navy's quarterback, I think he's got to go to the bottom. He, he'd be at the bottom for me. Um, now, the problem with, like, you know, saying that is even kind of what Steve alluded to is there's also like a lot of decision making, which maybe he's making a lot of really good decisions and so it should be higher. But, you know, he's only averaging two yards a rush. He's not exactly, he's not lighting the world on fire running the ball. We know he's not lighting the world on fire passing the ball. So yeah, I'd put him at the bottom pretty comfortably. Um, again, he's probably making a lot of good decisions in the running game, but looking at his numbers, he's got 69 rushes for 147 yards. This is not, uh, this is not Keenan Reynolds or, or some, some Malcolm right. Perry or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's, uh, pretty bad. Um, so I think he's your bottom for sure. And then there's kind of a jumble. So who's your top? I don't know. It's important. Though. It's an important question. Uh, I, I mean, really, all of this exercise was kind of uh, my way of saying uh, we really ranked Michael Pratt way too low. I had him sixth in the conference, and he's probably top three, top two. Um, just I like any two lane quarterback at this point. I really do, man. I love a good Michael Pratt, man. And I, I was so- nine touchdowns, three interceptions right now, 250 yards a game, basically, nine and a half yards an attempt. 
And he with missed almost seventy like percent. Yeah, game and a half. Almost seventy percent completion percentage. So they're pushing the ball down the field. Nine and a half yards of the attempt means you're pushing the ball down the field a little bit. And he's and he's completing sixty seven point seven percent of his passes. So uh, they've got the old throw game working there. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that's careful with that language there, Seth. That was uh, you almost said another the thing that you shouldn't say. What? That throat game is working. <laughs> <laughs> I would never say that publicly. The throw game. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's just get let's jump into uh, kind of the recap of Cincinnati. I think uh, 28-24, uh, USF led with what fourteen fifty six fifty six fifty six uh, fifty six left in the fourth quarter. Man, Steve. I look at you and I get so nervous. Um, it's a mustache. Four, yeah, 1456 <laughs> left in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Bulls had a, a chance to at least extend it or, you know, try to go for the win. Obviously, the, the fourth and one call, uh, fourth and one call, uh, you know, heard around the world was uh, the talk of the town. And uh, I think this is where, Seth, uh, you just kind of, if you want to take a round of applause, pat yourself on the back, do, do whatever you, you need to do. Because uh, we had that uh, sewn up, drawn up, and and dissected minutes after Jeff Scott's press conference on Saturday. And then he came in today on Tuesday and said the exact same thing. And it just kind of vindicates that you guys really should be watching the pregame, halftime, and postgame show of the Daily Stampede because we are actually decently good at what we do, especially when Seth's talking. I just like to steer the ship and hear my mouth and hear my words sometimes. Uh, but make sure you check that out. Uh, we won't have it this week. We'll we'll have maybe we'll have a post game show. We'll definitely have a post game show for sure. Uh, we'll, we will be live and in person at Raymond James Stadium, four o'clock on ESPNU as they host Tulane at USF's homecoming. But be sure to check it out. We'll have the film room tomorrow. We'll digest. We'll dissect that fourth and one call even further, plus some other ones. But I figured, I mean, damn, it feels good to just call out the play. It literally happens, and then the coach vindicates literally everything we talked about post game. Yep, yeah, Jeff Scott confirmed watcher in my mind of the of the post game. You're probably watching on the plane going home. Probably. Oh, should have put them in motion. You know, that's it's that simple. That's that's that's, that's all it is. If it's you guys so keep watching, uh, and we'll hopefully we'll have more moments like that. I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but uh, but the way that we're going, I think it might. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, it, it, you know, it, it, so we won today. If we win tomorrow, that's two. And if we win the day after that, that's called a winning streak. It has happened before. Amazingly, that's right. I had to think back to right. that one. That's right. Um, so quickly on Cincinnati, uh, they look pretty good. Uh, they being USF, um, they went down and scored on their very first drive of the game. Uh, they took the ball and scored. Uh, definitely a, a reach and something kind of out of Jeff Scott's uh, modus operandi, uh, some would call it. Um, and it, it worked effectively that. First drive was great. Uh, really mixed it in nice and well. Uh, capped off by that 22-yard uh, Brian Batie touchdown run. Uh, Batie finishes with 23 carries, 82 yards. Gary has 117 yards on the ground himself. I think he has a total of uh, 301 yards, 331 yards uh, total of offense. Two touchdown passes to Xavier Weaver. 
the offense is good. I, it just a little bit more consistency in that this this team this offense could theoretically score thirty five points a game. Well, since they started running him, they've been really good on offense. It, it seemed to be something they were holding back for some reason. Uh, I, I guess you see that you know he's gotten dinged up a little bit, so maybe that's the reason. That would be a good one, uh, but. You kind of hold you kind of hold that back in some of your early games, and once they started doing that, that's kind of the key to the offense. Once once they do that, everything else kind of flows from there. The run game's better, the passing game's better because you get to use play action a little bit more, and all all that 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 was the most frustrating thing going back and watching Louisville is after watching Florida where they d- designed some great stuff. They really mixed it up with motion, uh, quarterback run, all this kind of misdirection, pre snap and post snap. And you go to Louisville and you're just kind of running a lot of basic stuff and you just get waxed and blown off the field. You're like, well, what happened? You know, that can't be a one game. That can't be a one game plane, right? There, there's right. Some good stuff in there that needs to carry over. And that's what we said after the Florida game. This is not fluky. This stuff can carry over. So they didn't carry it over to the Louisville game. You're like, what is going on here? Um, but then you started to see a little bit more of it against ECU and then against Cincinnati, you saw it from the start. So. I don't know if they were watching and saw the wheel last week. You know, maybe that inspired them. But uh, the wheel doesn't lie. And I thought their plan was much like the Florida game and uh, creative and had a bunch of good stuff in it. And hopefully that's what we see the rest of you going forward if everyone can stay healthy. Yeah, I I was about to segue from that, Seth. I think I I can kind of pinpoint what happened between the the Florida – to Louisville, to ECU, and and then to what happened in the Cincinnati game, and I think Jeff Scott kind of touched about it today in the press conference. Holy fuck, are they injured? <laughs> like, bro, like this isn't. And I I quickly glossed over it on Twitter today. This isn't like oh, you know, a few guys have a have a bum hamstring and they're you know dealing with some soreness or anything like that. These are like. This is like you have bad luck injury sliders on on NCAA 14. Like this is yeah, the injury sliders are at 100. This is bad. Um, it, it's it seems like it's mostly uh, broken appendages. Yeah, like you have broken wrists, you have broken ankles, you have you know what broken leg. Yeah, you have I think nine starters out right now, and of course you have the depth and everything like that. But then your depth starting to get hurt and dinged up and everything and. You know, you get out of the Florida game, you know, kind of tail between your legs and everything like that. And then you go and look at your wide receiver room and you go, oh, shit, you're missing five wide receivers going into Louisville. Three of them are your starters. So, you know, no wonder you're having to go plain Jane and not do too much there. You can't really, you know, with backup, with, you know, third string guys, you got to throw out there. And then all of a sudden you come back home, tails really between your legs against Louisville. And then, oh fuck, we have a Category Four hurricane heading right towards us. So I'm sure uh, at least getting some sort of consistency from week in and week out is going to be nice, and getting some health back into it. But I mean, it's something to be said that external factors started to lean in a right. little bit more uh, over the last three weeks. There, not giving it an excuse, but also, you know, putting a spotlight on it and say, hey, that's probably a really good reason why they, uh, you know, went back to the drawing board against Louisville. Right, that is, that is true. And to, I mean, Steve, to that point, I mean, fourteen scholarship players didn't travel uh, to Cincinnati due to injury or otherwise. Like that is, 
like that is a that's a lot of guys to be missing. You like Antonio Greer obviously was not there. Uh, you know, Taquan Evans didn't play. Um, allegedly he traveled. Allegedly he dressed. Didn't play. Um, T.J. Robinson, uh, Donovan Jennings, Kelly Joyner, Jeremy Andrew Mangum, Stokes, Andrew Stokes. Uh, like it's you're down to what you like your fifth running back. Yeah, so you, you've got two scholarship running backs right now, and Brian Batie and Kwan Powell, and then uh, you brought you brought two walk-ons with you to Cincinnati. So at, at some point, like I I get, you know, Seth, I think you talked in the pregame show on Saturday. Like, yeah, the injuries may be a legitimate thing. It's just you may have just kind of burned it a little bit. Yeah, that, that I was going to bring that up. We talked about it before the game. It's it, to me, it's kind of like. These are legitimate issues, and this is a legitimate cause for losing. But at this point, when you've lost so much in so many different ways, nobody is going to care. Like, if it was year one and you had all these injuries, everyone would be like, you know, totally understanding, I think. Even year two, okay, they're they're showing progress, but they're being they're injured. Year three at this point with all the losing and how it's going and, and how the team looked like game one when they were mostly healthy. You know, that kind of stuff is sitting in people's minds more. So it's more like, oh, injuries, these are excuses. Right. And and I think that's the way it feels to a lot of fans. But th- there is some legitimacy to these. Like Steve mentioned, having all your – basically all your receivers out for Louisville. Like that's that changes some things, right? <laughs> um, and, and, and Bohannon being kind of dinged up a little bit against Florida and a little bit again this last week, is that going to cause you to take that run game out, which really hurts your offense? So – these things are these are legitimate issues. I just think they're going to fall on deaf ears a little bit. Yeah, and you know, now Cincinnati, your uh, Brad Cecil status is up in the air. Brad Cecil went out again at Cincinnati, kind of shuffled everything around. Dustin Hall slid over to center, uh, right tackle uh, Mike Lofton, who came in at and play, started playing right tackle after Donovan Jennings got hurt at left tackle, and Trey Jacobs moved over to left tackle. Now he slid in at right guard. And now you got Daryl Bailey uh, sliding in at right tackle. So the offensive lines had a shift. The only guy left that hasn't actually had to move positions is Demetrius Harris. And according to Jeff Scott, he's basically dealing with a numb foot. So that's, I mean, good. that's not great. That can't be good for you. Uh, you lose probably, probably the, the, guy who'd been playing the best along the defensive line over the last couple of weeks and Rashad Cheney, he had ankle surgery. He's done for the year. I mean, we, we kind of got it. I kind of put it, posed it in Slack earlier tonight. Like, are we, do we just kind of chalk this season up as the season from hell just because of literally all of the injuries? And it's not, it's not like we can pinpoint it to, all right, so it's soft tissue. Are they getting overworked? It's like Jeff Scott joked about it in his press conference on Tuesday. Are they just not drinking enough milk? Like, how does this get? Like, how is this happening? It's not even like they're happening the same way. Like Donovan Jennings got rolled up on and broke his leg. Rashad Cheney just got twisted and broke his ankle. Like, how do you? How like you can't over the course of a game like this stuff happens. Brad Cecil has an abdominal injury. The uh, Mangum has an ankle. Kelly Joyner had a broken bone in his foot. He may be a week away. It's he started practicing. He's doing some individual stuff this week, but it may not be until after the bye week. 
which is next week that you get Kelly Joyner back. Mikey Duke should be back. It's like what? And then Jimmy Horn was limited with an ankle injury as well. So at this point, do we kind of just chalk up this is the the season from hell and kind of uh, reset everything? I think internally you might think that, but externally, you know, it's kind of if you look at the results, they're not much different than the previous season. So externally, you're like, yeah, no, this is the same thing it's been. I think internally you realize that you have a better team and you're not quite able to showcase it because you have so many injuries. Um, the ECU game, that's kind of one where we didn't talk about it a ton, but, you know, playing, being aggressive and playing man coverage like your fourth or fifth corner having to be the guy that's playing on ECU's best receiver and the ball is just going over his fingertips and you're catching it and getting, you know, beating man-to-man coverage. Like, yeah, you got beat, but it's also like you're playing your fourth corner. So that, that's tough. So you you think, okay, if that's our best corner, he might be able to make a play on that ball. Maybe it's a different game, right? But uh, And we, we can get into the, you know, Jeff Scott math. <laughs> a little bit, but the Jeff Scott Steiner math. Yeah, but, but that's kind of, but there is something to it. I just don't think from the outside you're going to get a lot of people thinking, oh, yeah, this year is terrible because it's not like they've been really good and then all of a sudden they're really hurt and now they're bad. I think they would have right. been better this year if they weren't hurt, but they are, but they're hurt. So it's just the same as it's been the last couple of seasons. It's, it's not just that they're hurt. I mean, it's like every, like Chrissy kind of mentioned it. I mean, anything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. Murphy's law, baby. I mean, like, so yeah, bring in all these new defensive linemen because you, God, you need bodies along that defensive line. And then all of a sudden, two of them just immediately can't play. So, you know, of the, what, eight guys that they brought in. (laughs) Right. I forgot about James Ash and Clyde Pender. (laughs) So you started with, with eight defensive linemen that you brought in. And then now you you know knock off two right at the top. Don't even don't even get them to fall. And then the injuries start piling up. And then all of a sudden you're having to shuffle bodies. And and God bless you, Torian Hansford for you know switching from DN to defensive tackle because now to fill the bodies, this isn't even like a, a a serviceable thing. This is like he needs to. We need that guy in the position because there is literally no other defensive tackles that they could throw into that position right now because everyone else is either injured or not eligible or can't play or anything like that. So, you know, a a position that we all thought would have an immediate turnaround can't because you basically are back to where you were last year when you're having to throw on walk-ons and D2 players and, you know, bless Eddie Kelly and Jonathan Ross. They were probably going to get some good playing time if uh, the game was out of hand or if they were going to, you know, win big or against Howard or something like that. They're probably not expecting much playing time this year. And here they are, um, you know, being rotational along with Jacquez Williams and uh, Jalen Hobbs. So, you know, fuck. And then, of course, you know, I I just checked. USF has the 20th ranked toughest strength of schedule right now, according to uh, the power rankings. So, on top of all of the injuries, on top of everything else that's going wrong for you right now up to this point, you are also putting together one of the toughest schedules in the country, let alone group of five football. So, fuck, man. Like, this might as well be the season from hell. Like, you <laughs> you, you couldn't, like, flip a dice and get yeah. you know, a, a down, like, even how the schedule was playing out. And I know we kind of mentioned it um, a few weeks ago, like, Maybe if you didn't have BYU first and you have Howard first, 
maybe the season feels a little bit differently because you can kind of ease into the season a little bit more, but instead you get your dick slapped by BYU. And <laughs> some people like that. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like, I mean, it, it, it's, it's frustrating. Cause like you really just want something to cling onto that's positive and you just can't find it because nothing is going right right now for them. Yeah, I thought it was really f- funny. Uh, Jeff Scott, I think it was answering your question uh, before you broke him, uh, Nathan. Jeff Scott, <laughs> Jeff Scott <laughs> basically said his, the year he won a state championship as a high school head coach, they got every break imaginable, and kind of they were they had some players, but they kind of they got a little bit lucky on their way there. Got every break to win the state championship. He's and he said, "Is this like all basically? I'm paying for it all now this season." <laughs> right. I thought that was kind of because I'd heard him talk about the year before and talk about all the breaks they got, and so it was kind of interesting that that's kind of where his mind is going. And that's before you broke the poor. Bro- man. I broke the poor man. Um, I still feel pretty bad about that. Um, <clears throat> It just it's it's tough, and you know we, we've kind of touched on it, man. He just he, he's not getting the benefit of the doubt, and that's that's the that's the tough part. And uh, you know, I'm not. I, I was never out on him. I'm a little bit more in probably than I was a week ago. But man, uh, I think we we titled this podcast "Don't Poop the Bed." Number two, uh, you can't. Let's as we jump into the two lane preview, you cannot. And I mean, cannot afford to do what you did after Florida. I don't care. Like you can't do it. Well, that's. I think you had a, we had a question earlier about you know this, and this is this is a term that gets thrown around all the time now. Is this the Syracuse game? They got to win it, right? You got to. Like, you got to. You got to win can't, it. You can't turn around the program in a loss. Yeah. This. I mean, like, and then. The Florida was the first one everyone said that about. Is this, the, is this the turning point? And then next week, just come out and get whacked. Now we we mentioned there's some extenuated circumstances, but here you go, round two option or you know your opportunity two here to not go number two into the bed. We'll see if they do it. I don't know. I don't know. I you know ahead of the the Louisville game, uh, there was poop in Brody's bed, so I'll keep you guys abreast to the situation uh, on Saturday. Um, but good lord, uh, they can't they can't do it. Um, so we'll we'll figure it out. Uh, as we jump into Tulane, we've kind of discussed Michael Pratt. They they've got some really talented people, um, kind of across the board. Some really good wide receivers. I think t- six of their their top six wide receivers all have at least twelve catches. Pratt likes to toss it around to a bunch of people. Um. Willie Fritz kind of figured it out. He he, he figured it out after a two and ten season, which is pretty shocking. Um, overall thoughts: They're five and one, two two and zero oh in the conference. Um, kind of overall thoughts as we kind of kick off uh, Tulane here. Well, first of all, they got they got a receiver. I'm assuming these guys are brothers. I, I think I mentioned them every time they play. You got Deuce Watts and Fat Watts. I mean, what a what a beautiful combination of names. Um, you know, they, they may have, do they have the best win in the conference this year? Like the best out of conference win? Yeah. I mean, what, no one Kansas, else really has yeah, yeah. Kansas state's still ranked, right? Yeah. Kansas state on the road. Is that the best out of conference win so far? I'd have to say so. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I don't think anyone else really has anything. 
relatively close to you know that level of win right now. I just going through off the top of my head, I don't think anyone else has played anyone quite ranked as high or as formidable. I think it's I mean, Cincinnati almost knocking off Arkansas would be your closest bet to it, but even then I I would probably venture to say that T um yeah, TCU is a little bit better than Arkansas. So, yeah. I, what I'm interested in seeing from this Tulane team is as you look at their schedule, they have that big win um, against Kansas State. Then they go and lose at home to Southern Miss the following week. And, and their, their previous, the two wins before Kansas State were Massachusetts and Alcorn State. So, you're not exactly playing the, this is not USF schedule, right? Um, so, and your and your win against Kansas, you score seventeen, and your loss to Southern Miss, you score twenty four, and your win against Houston, you score twenty seven. Your win against East Carolina, you score twenty four. Now I know some of those were without the quarterback, but you know, are is, are their offensive numbers inflated by the first two games where they put up like forty two and fifty two or something? Uh, yeah, forty two and fifty two. Is that somewhat inflated? It seems like they've been pretty consistent in terms of yards per play. But, you know, how good is this offense? Is it, you know, is it, you know, I mean, I don't, does, does it matter? I guess is the other question. <laughs> I guess the zero seventy. <laughs> Jeez, they're just cutting it right to the core, huh? Yeah. I, and then defensively, they're, they're really, they're pretty strong in a few metrics. Uh, I think they're top 20 in available yards and net points per drive, which are two uh, pretty interesting stats. So the defense, I think their advanced numbers are better than their like county numbers or the offense. It may almost be opposite, but like you mentioned, they were without that quarterback who is one of the top guys in, in the conference. So it'll be, uh, it'll be, it's not going to be an easy game here. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. And I think uh, it's kind of previewing and looking at what Tulane's been able to do. Uh, the, you know, the key numbers for me is always, um, third downs they're converting 37 percent of their third downs this year uh on the flip side opponents are converting 32 percent uh the thing that kind of really spoke to me uh were their first quarter numbers and their third quarter numbers they're outscoring opponents 38 to 3 in the first quarter and then coming out of halftime they're scoring they're outscoring opponents 52 to 7 now those are pretty ridiculous numbers uh regardless of who you're playing to, to really kind of clamp down your, your first quarter, your game plans have to be on point, And then your adjustments coming out of the half have to be on point. And they have been able to execute that both flawlessly on the flip side. USF has not been able to do that much at all. Uh, I think your best bet was uh, Cincinnati. They did a really good job score interception score. Unfortunately it wasn't, a touchdown just settled for a field goal and then uh the second half i think cincinnati scored pretty pretty quickly uh going into the second half there um in the third quarter so that's kind of where you know usf has won or lost games in the first quarter it's been jeff scott's mo for his entire career i think we're at uh 12 of 24 that they've been outscored by 10 or more points after the first quarter so that's they cannot start slow again, especially at homecoming. With I would venture to say a very light, light crowd for a one and five team. Yeah, and one one of the most interesting things about the two lane defense, just looking at it real quick, 
They've only given up 10 plays this year of 20-plus yards. That is good for second in the country. So 10 plays through six games over 20 yards. So they do not give up a ton of explosives. So they make you kind of execute down the field to score Mm -hmm. on them. Um, And that's why you see those advanced numbers are so good because – they they do not let they do not give you cheap ones. They make you earn it, and that's going to be a tough test. But in in the games USF's played really well in, they've had some explosiveness, but it's been mostly they've been just slowly methodically moving the ball down the field with the run game, getting themselves into third and manageable, and converting and keeping drives going. It hasn't been like one huge play. There's been some of that, like you had the big run by Bohannon, and you had a twenty plus yard touchdown. You know, 22, but a lot of it was moving the ball kind of methodically down the field. Um, so they're going to have to be able to do that again to to beat this Tulane defense. All right. And Tulane's strength is obviously going to be their secondary. I mean, that that's the reason why they have not given up those explosive plays is because of you know, how well their secondary has played this year, which is just a far cry from how it was last year for Tulane, where they uh, they they very much struggled. Uh, in the deep passing game side of things. Um, some of the more interesting things that, you know, glancing through Tulane's, uh, you know, repertoire this year was it, they they don't seem to be too formidable in the front seven kind of things. They're not getting, you know, a, a too terrible of tackles for losses and sacks. Um, I, I, I noticed that too. It, it's It's a very weird statistical anomaly. I think they only have like, Seven know, sacks. I, yeah, seven sacks, and I think most of them came in the UMass and Alcorn State game. And actually, no, in the ECU. No, no, actually, never mind. Sorry. But uh, Michael Pratt's been getting hit quite a bit, which is obviously how that injury came out, kind of segueing into what I think USF might be able to hinge their cap onto. And what I kind of referenced earlier this week was despite the injuries and despite, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, big statistical shortcoming by USF this year, which is points allowed. They're actually getting quite a lot of havoc plays. Um, Nine sacks on the year so far, which tied last year's already. So, you know, you're on good pace already, you know, and, and getting additional tackles for losses. I think they're very close to being able to surpass last year's total, you know, midway through this year, getting interceptions, getting forced fumbles, you know, creating uh, a shorter for your offenses in a couple uh, USF Tulane's kind of opposed to letting that happen. That's how they kind of lost to Southern Miss was untimely uh, sacks, untimely turnovers, and all of a sudden, you know, you're 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 looking long on third and long, and it, it can kind of flip the game for you there. So that's kind of what I'm going to be looking forward to more than anything is seeing if we can finally see some positive havoc plays that result in points on the board for USF that can potentially, you know, get things to start rolling their way a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for, for USF, I think that the key for me is uh, if they can kind of replicate what they were able to do on the ground, uh, you know, against Cincinnati, I think they rush for more, I think they rushed for as many yards as Arkansas did in game one and Arkansas beat Cincinnati. I think if they're able to do that against Cincinnati, they'll be able to do that against Tulane because Steve, as you mentioned, their front seven's not uh, great. I don't think you, I, we'll get to the predictions here in a second. I don't think 
USF wins, but I think they'll they can be as effective as they possibly can be against this caliber of defense. Uh, I, I do expect Michael Pratt and those wide receivers to expose the DBs a little bit, regardless of how healthy they are. I don't see USF being able to create enough pressure to really get Michael Pratt off his spot. Yeah, it's going to be a rough one, I think. <laughs> That's fair. Um, let's, you know what, let's get into predictions. Let's, 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 let's hit that real quick. Um, just kind of recap, uh, last week. So technically we all hit, we all picked Cincinnati to win. So good job by us. Um, I think, uh, just kind of going by the numbers here. I think Seth, you were the closest, like overall point differential, uh, you, I think you were within like 25-ish, which is pretty good given how close the game was. Um, but let's let's jump into it. Uh, USF 1-5, 0-2 in conference play, right? Tulane, 5-1, 2-0 in conference. ESPNU, 4 o'clock Eastern uh, on ESPNU. Saturday, it's homecoming. Um, the leading game, funny, funny enough, for those who are may not be at the game, uh, is Old Dominion at Coastal Carolina. So that'll be a fun game. That's a noon game, and then USF at four, and then I think ECU, whoever they play, is uh, the game after USF on ESPNU. Uh, let's jump into it. Let's get Steve. What is your prediction? USF, Tulane, homecoming, Ray J. The tens of fans in the in the stands. Ugh. God, I hate me. Um, I I want I want to do the stupid thing. I I really do want to. To, to do the stupid thing. I am, I am a mouse looking at a cheese trap. I know it is going to kill me. I have fallen for it so many times because I'm a fucking idiot. Yep. And I'm going to do it again because oh, I'm God. a fucking idiot. Fair. I, I, think, I think USF 35... Tulane, 31. Biggest fucking idiot USF fan in the world who just goes back to the cheese, eats the rat poison. Big fucking idiot over here. I mean, and Lane Kiffin has warned us about rat poison. I keep on looking at it. Mm. Right. It was him, right? Was it Lane? Yeah, it was him. That's a saving thing. Saving thing. They stole it from. Yeah, probably learned it from. They from stole Lane. it from Saban. No. <laughs> Fair, uh, Seth. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm not gonna agree with Steve here. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go. Let's go. Uh, 38 to 24 here. Tulane. I think uh, I. I have to see this defense kind of stop somebody before I put a lot of trust in them. It hasn't happened yet. I don't think it'll start this week, but. Would be cool if it did. 
But, it, uh, it would be pretty cool if it did. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, I don't see this defense stopping this team. I think 45-24. Just because, again, it's one of those things where I this offense is too talented to not score some touchdowns. It's just that the defense is also pretty horrendous. And uh, I think we saw that chart earlier to uh, I think it was Tuesday or uh, yesterday, Monday, whatever day it was, um, kind of given the perfect encapsulation of USF football where it's just them by themselves in the lower left quadrant. Offense is pretty close to being okay, but the defense is so far down, and that's kind of where it is. Uh, Prove to me that you can stop a nosebleed on defense, um, and I'll, I'll maybe I'll believe you, but until then – yeah, I, I feel pretty confident picking uh, Tulane to cover, which the line is I, I've i seen 12 in some spots. Yeah, it's up to 12. It's starting to get – not in one place it's at 13, but 12 seems to be the consensus. So Good Lord. It started at 10, I believe. Yeah. So that's how that is. Um, I see Chrissy 28-21 Tulane. Uh, Heath 41-20 uh, Tulane, I would assume. Um yeah, I just, don't, I just really don't see USF being able to stop them. The offense will put up some numbers, but not enough to keep up. Um, again, it it really boils back to if this defense wasn't cosmically bad and just like awful, they'd be three. They'd be two and two and four, three and three maybe, but. Yeah, here we are. No, this is not a this is not a, a defense you can trust quite yet. So maybe they'll get it figured out on the bye week. Hey, that'd be fun. Bye weeks fix everything, right? That's right. And then before we get out of here, Stieg, I tasked you with one thing before we left tonight. Do you have that one thing ready? Got it right here. Perfect. Been ready for it all night. The floor is yours. <clears throat> Beautiful. Um, had a uh, had a how can I how can I lead into this? Uh, big fucking dub alert. Uh, put some sirens in the background. Um, USF uh, men's soccer, who um, I've been quietly uh, but very auspiciously and suspiciously watching this year because I'm very anxious to see what Bob Butehorn does with this squad that he put together. Uh, put together a really good fucking win. Uh, this past uh, what what day was this on uh, October 9th, two days ago? I'm Monday, Sunday. Sunday. Jesus Christ, I'm on having a stroke <laughs> over here. Um, but USF uh, beat Tulsa in uh, in men's soccer, which is a, a quite a rousing victory. Um, Tulsa is ranked in the uh, top 25 consensusly. They were ranked as high as number 14 in the uh, in the co- in the coaches poll. So. Uh, USF taking down a top 25 team there. They defeated them two to one and they remain undefeated in conference play to start the year. Uh, really weird because of the points and how ties work and all that stuff. They're actually fourth uh, in the conference right now because of hurricane cancellations and things moving around. Um, but regardless, undefeated in conference play is a great way to start the year and getting a, a good top 25 victory out of it. 
Um, they were actually behind one nothing after the 68th minute. Uh, Tulsa scored. They have quite a potent attack, but USF was able to limit them to only three shots on goal. So uh, really good to see there. Scoring for USF got started by Alfred Perez uh, in the 73rd minute. So pretty shortly thereafter, was able to respond quickly. And uh, the game-winning goal, Sagan Afalobi, uh, scored in the 80th or 81st minute. If you have not seen the live replay where uh, Ryan Olquist and I think it's Derek Sharp give the live call on it, it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Ryan, for having very little affiliation to USF aside from calling games, I I think his voice cracked and he hit an octave that I didn't think was possible for uh, a man of his nature to be able to hit. So really fun <laughs> video to watch there. Um, but yeah, it's a, a great victory for Bob Butehorn. It's actually their first top 25 victory since they last beat Tulsa last year uh, when they were ranked number 21 uh, as well. So a lot of good history there. And so I'm very excited to see what, uh, what they can do. And same thing with the women's soccer team. Um, they also had a great victory that the night over a, again, another formidable conference opponent in Memphis. So both the men's, uh, both of the football clubs are uh, doing pretty all right to start the year, you know, Non-conference didn't go too great, but uh, all you got to do is win a couple conference games and you set yourself up for success. Yep, and then uh, quickly, uh, women's golf finishes third at the Dale McNamara Invitational. Uh, pretty pretty solid uh, outing. I think they led after the first 36 holes. Uh, conveniently enough, oh, man, they had a, they, I'll be honest, they had a pretty brutal uh, final day. Uh, 11 over par. Tulsa actually ended up winning that, so that's pretty funny uh, how that um, how that shakes out. So the uh, there was a hashtag SID fuck up on the article when they first posted it. It said a strong third round led to a third place finish, and uh, they they quickly changed that to strong second round <laughs> led to a third place finish. Mm-hmm. Conveniently skipping the part where they really didn't uh, didn't. Yeah, pot well on on day two there. Yeah, they 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 did not. But hey, uh, women's golf not abysmal, unlike USF football's defense. So uh, shout out to Coach Brennan uh, and the crew over there. Uh, I think Melanie Green's probably uh, one of the better golfers USF uh, women's golf has had over the last decade. Um, so I'm excited to see her career. Um, yeah, I think that's it, man. Under an hour, let's go. I was gonna Let's say, freaking go. Do you want to talk about fantasy real quick? Oh yeah. Oh damn. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Let me pull those. Up. Let me pull those numbers up. Do you uh, have them by chance? I have this week's numbers. Yes. Perfect. You want me to go ahead and and, and read them off? Yeah. Go I'm going to sneak this one in here. Cross country men's finished 14th. Women's finished ninth at the FSU Invitational. That's all right. Not last. No, not even close to last. There were 30 teams. Holy shit. They were top in the top half. Let's go, bro. We're running school now. All right. Week six, USF fantasy football here. At the top of the board was Hot Fuzz. You're welcome. With 69 and a half points. Very nice. Second, the Horn Dogs with 38.8 points. Third, 
the best of the rest with 37.3, that which means a Joe <laughs> Joe's icy gaze came in last with 31 points this week. Can we can we talk about how many of my players actually played? Yes. Uh so you didn't have QB. Uh no running back, no wide receiver, no tight end, no defensive line. Incredible. Just uh for, for everyone's reference, uh it was not a great week for anybody besides Nathan. Uh we gave the offensive line since they played so well, we gave them fifteen points instead of the usual ten. Uh so fifteen, about half of Steve's points came from Dustin Hall. Yep. So um, give me give me an extra one just for uh, my my offensive lineman being healthy, please. And uh, filling in at center. Technically, all of our offensive linemen were healthy. So oh, they are welcome. Oh right. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, ooh, I I did not write down y'all's team. So we knew how to we knew how to pick them. You know, we, yeah, we, yeah. we could tell we could tell before the season. We're all handsome and we know how to pick. Well, you guys do. Um, <laughs> that's true. That's that's accurate. Um, yeah, it's, uh, fun. this is all. This has been really fun. Um, Jason Vaughn, I think, led the best of the rest with seven points. Um, Devon Hicks and Amaris Brown had six points. Uh, but I mean, the story of the day is always Xavier Weaver and Brian Batie continue to be absolute studs for your boy with a combined forty-five point five points, uh, accounting for. Got like sixty percent, and I didn't have Latrell Williams. Chris Carter didn't register a sack uh, or, or, or a stat. Uh, Antonio Greer didn't play, and Daquan Evans didn't play, and I still whooped y'all's ass by thirty points. So uh, get there. Um, I mean, nobody saw my last week, I guess. But, you know. <laughs> well, no, I'm always going to add to how we're getting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Congrats, That's true. Every, every, everybody, everybody has won one at least one week this year. So what a what a what a competition! What a competition! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> fucking Jesus Christ! I, I keep on looking over at my team and I I, I put a tally mark if they play, and I'm just it, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Like the first yeah, week of prison. <laughs> like, five. Oh man! Oh my god! All right. Let's get out of here. Uh, be sure to check out uh, at Stampede SBN on Twitter, uh, at Seth Varnador, who's now verified on Twitter, at Robert Stieglife, who is not verified on Twitter, at Bulls Nathan SBN, who is verified on Twitter. Uh, make sure you check us out. Be sure to join us for the TDS Film Room a Wednesday night as we break down that fourth down play. Once again, as we nailed it, we 100% with accuracy just drilled that play and we'll talk about everything else in between uh for seth steeg i'm nathan bond as always thanks for listening to the bloom Naughty podcast go bulls go bulls go bulls